Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be every one who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no man is justified before God by the law, for he through faith is righteous shall live. But the law does not rest on faith, for he who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed be every one who hangs on a tree, that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When Paul says in verse 10 that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, he recalls for us that same idea from chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where he said, There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. Evidently, Paul thought that there was a teaching abroad in the Galatian churches that was so deadly to people and so dishonoring to God that it brought down a divine curse on those who taught it and those who embraced it. It was a teaching propagated not by secular humanists out of Athens. It was a teaching propagated by Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem. And the reason the book of Galatians is such a dynamite, life-transforming message for the church is that it pronounces a curse from God not on atheistic, agnostic outsiders, but on professing Christians who try to serve God in a way that diminishes grace and cultivates pride. Galatians is God's reminder to Bethlehem. The reminder to us at Bethlehem that we are in constant danger of false reliances. Satan is at work full time to keep tempting us to think, to feel, that if we use God talk, Go to God's house. Believe some of God's doctrines. Pray to God at mealtime. Avoid gross sins. Therefore, we are under God's blessing. And the book of Galatians is written to warn the church against a group of people called Judaizers who were doing all those things and were under a curse. So, none of us should sit easily under the scrutiny of this book. Divine blessing and divine cursing are the issue and the continental divide between the bless, the blessing, and the cursing is not between church people and not church people. Nor is it between those who call Jesus Lord and those who don't call Jesus Lord. It is between those who, on the one hand, have been crucified with Christ 
And therefore, in all poverty of spirit, live their lives in total reliance on the Holy Spirit day by day. And those, on the other hand, who have never died to self-reliance and are endeavoring to do right by their own strength and for their own glory. They are people in whom, though there may be tremendously intense moral religious activity, it all amounts to nothing but self-reformation and brings a curse, according to verse 10. The one group glories only in the cross by which they have died to everything that is not God. And the other group makes much of their personal strengths and abilities and powers and diminishes the grace of God and the cross of Christ. The one group of church members enjoys the blessing of Abraham and the other group of church members is under the divine curse. And therefore, the way to listen to this message this morning and to every message that comes from the book of Galatians is with self-examination. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are standing in faith. Test yourselves for you should know yourselves that you that you have Christ in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So whenever the word of God is faithfully preached, an occasion is given to the people of God to test yourselves, to see whether you are in faith or not. The test may affirm the reality of Christ's work in your life and you will go on your way strengthened and rejoicing. Or the test may prick your conscience and lead you to prayer and repentance, both of which would be great and are needful. But God forbid that any of you should pigeonhole the book of Galatians and the sermons from it as applying only to those outside, the unbelievers, or only to me insofar as they can help me increase my rewards in heaven. Galatians is written to the church and it is written to divide those who are under the curse and those who are under the blessing. Galatians 3, 10 to 14 makes three high level statements, statements that ought to come to you with as much momentousness as though a voice came over that loudspeaker saying that 80 Nuclear warheads had just been released from Russia aimed at this country. That's how momentous the word of God ought to sound in your ear. From Galatians 3, 10 to 14. Here are the three high level statements. One, verse 10. Those who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Or more literally, simply those who are of works of law are under a curse. We'll come back to that. Second, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And third, in verse 14, which is the purpose and the result of the second one, he did it 
so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, let's take those one at a time and try to understand them and apply them to our lives. First, those who rely on works of law are under a curse. What does curse mean? The opposite of curse is blessing. And you can see from verses 13 and 14 how they are played off against each other and what the blessing and the curse are. Christ became a curse for us that we might have the blessing of Abraham. They are opposites. And then you can see what the blessing is in verse 14. The blessing is that the Holy Spirit is given to us through faith. To be blessed by God is to be given God in the Holy Spirit. And therefore, can we not infer that the curse is to be without God? The Holy Spirit is kept back from those who are under a curse. And we are without God in the world. So, when verse 10 says, those who rely on works of law are under a curse, it means they are without God. And even more, that they are under the wrath of God and it rests upon them. So, uh, is it not patently obvious that we should make every effort not to be among the people of verse 10? Not to be among those who are of works of law. And so we must ask, what is that? What is this being of the works of the law? There's no Greek word for legalism. A fact that put Paul in a very difficult position with his language. Because he believed there is a reality called legalism. So what Paul had to do, and we'll talk about in a minute what this is, to get across the idea of legalism was one, he simply used the word law sometimes to refer to the legalistic misuse of the Mosaic law and hoped that his context would make it clear. The other thing he did was use a phrase like works of law which was always a negative phrase for Paul. It always referred to something you shouldn't do, namely works of law. That meant the law tried to be fulfilled in your own effort, and that's legalism. In chapter 2, verse 18, Paul distinguished between what Moses really taught and what the Judaizers have made of Moses' law. And there is a difference between law as God intended it and law as legalism. And I hope you listen very carefully to try to get that distinction clear in your mind. Remember Peter in Antioch and what happened in chapter 2? He had been eating with Gentiles, free from the dietary laws. And then men came from James and under pressure and fear, Peter withdrew from the Gentiles, began to keep those laws again. And Paul said, no, it is out of sync with the gospel. And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, he also said it's out of sync with the law. He said, if I build again those things that I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. He means, if I have ceased to depend on the keeping of the dietary laws, and then under pressure... I turn back and begin to start keeping the dietary laws in hopes of showing myself worthy to God. I transgress 
what? The law. In other words, the law taught that legalism is wrong. The law taught us that we ought not obey the law legalistically. So there is a very big difference in Paul's mind between what Moses taught and what the Judaizers have made of what he taught in the law. The law itself condemns the use of its own commands to prove our worth to God or to help us earn our salvation. And Paul uses this little term, works of law, to refer to that, legalism. So, in verse 10 of chapter 3, the term works of law does not refer to the obedience which comes from faith. It refers to efforts to obey which are based on self-reliance and aim to earn God's favor. That's what works of law is, and that's why it's contrasted with faith in verse 5. Just jump up a few verses. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by the hearing of faith? They're like oil and water, these works of law and faith. Works of law are not the good works that a Christian does in reliance on the Holy Spirit. They are the self-reliant effort to demonstrate my virtue to God so that he will be impressed and bless me. Therefore, the phrase works of law is synonymous with legalism. And we saw from verse 18 of chapter 2 that the Mosaic law itself says that's a transgression of the law. You remember that picture I used a few weeks ago of the railroad and the ladder? God gave the law as a railroad track leading to heaven on which the locomotive of the Holy Spirit is pulling the saints coupled by faith. That's the law. And what the Judaizers did was take that railroad and lift it up on end, make a ladder out of it, lean it against the portals of heaven, by which they could then, on their strength, demonstrate to God their ability to climb morally on the rungs of the commandments into his presence. And that's legalism. The Judaizers take the law and turn it into legalism against which the law itself preached, and therefore against which Paul preached. That was the essential error in Galatia of the Judaizers. Now, if you're with me so far, I hope we can see what verse 10 is getting at here in context. Verses 1 to 5, if you remember back, said, in essence, that the Judaizers, the false teachers, had told the Galatian Christians, it's just fine to begin with faith. That's great. But don't think that you can be completed in the Christian life by faith. Don't think that you can get sanctified by faith alone. You must now add to your faith in the Spirit your work from the flesh. You must do something and complete what God does. God helps those who help themselves. 
And Paul's answer to that is, it can't be done. If you drive with the Spirit, you must putt with the Spirit. Verse 10 confirms this by saying, there's a curse upon those who are doing works of law. And notice very carefully, verse 10 does not say that the curse is upon people for not doing works of law. The curse comes upon people because they try to do them and succeed. Peter, when did Paul attack Peter? When he quit obeying the dietary laws? No, when he took them up again. Paul said, no, that's against the gospel and it's a transgression of the law to keep those dietary laws in that way. When did Paul attack the false brethren in Jerusalem? When they refused to circumcise Titus? No, when they insisted on circumcising Titus, he said, no, it is against the gospel and against the law. It is those who do the works of the law who are under a curse, not those who can't do them. What the Judaizers missed, what their great failure was, was not the failure to keep the stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant. Their failure was to see that the basic lesson of the Mosaic Law was that you have to have a new heart, you have to have divine enablement, and you have to get it by faith. Then you can be on the railroad track of the law. You try to turn it into a ladder to get to heaven, it will be all legalistic strivings, and you will be under a curse. Now, if we've got a handle on verse 10, maybe we'll have a chance to understand 10 to 12. And I plead for help here. These are not easy verses to understand. I'm going to handle them very quickly lest we get too bogged down. I'm going to just uh, paraphrase them, basically, giving you my interpretation, because it's a very different interpretation than you may have ever heard before. I'm not the originator of it by any means, but it's not the traditional one. The traditional interpretation of verses 10 through 12 says that Paul is actually contrasting faith and the Mosaic law. And since you can't keep the Mosaic law, you're under a curse. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think Paul is contrasting faith and legalism. He had to use the word law because he had no other word to use. And when he says law in verses 11 and 12, he means Judaizing misuse of law. And if you can get that one little thing down, maybe you'll be able to follow with me as I paraphrase these verses. My paraphrase is going to sound different than what you see on the page. But if you remember that the word law can carry this negative implication, you might, you might agree with me. Here we go. Follow in your Bible and try to see where my paraphrase is coming from. Verse 10. Everyone who ceases to live wholly by faith and applies themselves to keeping the law in their own strength in order to earn God's fullest favor are under the curse of the law. For in Deuteronomy 27, 26, it says, people are cursed 
who try to keep the law, but neglect those parts which teach the evils of self-reliance and legalism. They do. They don't do all the things written in the law. They neglect the weightier matters of the law, as Jesus said, like faith, justice. Verse 11. It is patently clear that justification can never be achieved by legalism. Not law in the mosaic sense, but law in the distorted sense. For Habakkuk 2.4 makes clear that faith, which is the opposite of the pride of legalism, is what makes a person righteous before God. 12. But legalism, not the mosaic law, But legalism is not rooted in faith. On the contrary, it has its roots in the Judaizers' slogan from Leviticus 18.5, He who does them shall live by them, by which they mean, contrary to God's intention, if you expect to gain life, you must add the effort of your own flesh and put that in addition to faith. Now that's tough going, I admit. And the reason it is, is because Paul was simply up against it with trying to find language that could say yes to the law, but no to the Judaistic misuse of the law. If you find that too far-fetched and you want to go with the traditional interpretation, let me just expose you to the consequences. What you wind up with, if you see Paul playing off the Mosaic law against faith, are some radical contradictions in Paul's teaching. In Romans 3.31, Paul says, Do we then abrogate the law by faith? No, we establish the law by faith. And he said in Romans 9.32 that the law was never intended by Moses or by God to be obeyed by works, but only by faith. Therefore, if we go with the traditional interpretation here, it looks like we have Paul really in trouble with contradictions, not only in the distant context of Romans, but also in the more immediate context of chapter 2, verse 18, where he implied that the law taught that legalism was a transgression. So I'm persuaded that we honor the nearer and wider context when we say that the word law in verses 11 and 12 means legalism. The legalistic misuse of the Mosaic law, not what Moses himself intended. So let me sum up our first point, the first level statement. There are good moral religious people who have never been crucified with Christ, who join the church and who have never tasted the power of the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of humility and love and joy in the power that God supplies, but who join the church and work their can off for Jesus in the power of the flesh and are therefore under a curse. That's the first point, 10 through 12. Second high-level statement in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
Paul knew that he had been the arch legalist. Philippians chapter 3 says that with regard to the law, he had been blameless. And in Galatians chapter 1, he said he surpassed all of his contemporaries in his devotion to the traditions of the elders. He was a good Pharisee. And therefore, under the worst possible curse. He didn't know the first thing about obedience that comes from faith. By the power of the Holy Spirit in the life. He didn't know anything about aptat. And so he was under a curse like the rest of his kinsmen who, according to Romans 10:3, were seeking to establish their own righteousness. What hope is there? What hope is there for a person who has tried to bribe God with his virtue? What hope is there for a person who has utterly dishonored God by trying to barter with him and saying, my morality for your mercy, okay? Tit for tat, me and you, we'll just work out a deal here. No hope. The rage of God is on religious people like that. No hope. Unless the mysterious love of God should find a way to take my curse, Paul's curse, your curse, and lift it up and lay it on Jesus. Which he did. According to verse 13. The beauty of the gospel, the essence of the good news is God made him to be sin who knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God. Stunning. Utterly incomprehensible. Jesus wasn't guilty of one moment of legalism. Not one moment. He trusted his father perfectly. He was energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. He did everything for the glory of God. And he went to the cross and not you. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, not an exception in this room, all we, like stupid, boneheaded sheep, have gone our own way of legalism, and God has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. The good news for people who have come under the curse of God is that the sin of moral self-reliance can be forgiven and is forgiven whenever we turn away from ourselves to the crucified Christ and cease, die, die to self-reliance, self-exaltation, self-determination, and the flesh. Finally, and very briefly, 
A third high-level statement in this text is found in verse 14. Christ Jesus died and took our place that in him the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham, according to Paul, is the Holy Spirit. And the way to get the blessing of Abraham, as we saw two, three weeks ago, is only through faith. We are children of Abraham through faith. When you quit holding on to your desires to do it yourself, be your own man, your own woman, then you have a chance to receive the Spirit because the Spirit comes when we turn away from ourselves and rely on the crucified Christ. And the connection between verses 13 and 14 teach us that the substitutionary death of Jesus was the purchase of our right for this glorious gift of the Holy Spirit. We had no right to the Spirit. That the Spirit of God is in us clay pots is only doing to the owing to the fact that Jesus died for us. And it shows us this connection between verse 13 and 14, that the only way to get that spirit is to receive it by faith, that is to quit relying on ourselves and turn to him. So let's stand back now and just get the whole picture. What's he doing here in chapter 3? He's doing the same thing I want to do, and that is plead with you not to be bewitched by the Judaizers. There are a lot of them in our day. They're all over the place. Heard some of them on Tuesday afternoon. Don't be bewitched by the Judaizers who say, okay, Christians, you begin with the Spirit by faith, but you get sanctified by works in the power of the flesh. That's the witchery of the Judaizers, and that's the thing Galatians was written to destroy. And I want to destroy it out of this church. It can't be done. You cannot complete in the spirit what you began. You cannot complete in the flesh what you began in the spirit. The ways divide. So I simply close by laying before you the two ways. Cursing and blessing. And this has to do with church members. You can do one and have one or the other. What sets you in one category or the other is not so much what you do as the spirit in which you do it. Circumcision may be a work of law that brings down the curse of God. Or circumcision may be an evangelistic tactic flowing from a heart of love and faith. Dietary restrictions may be works of the law by which we are trying to impress God and earn his favor and under a curse. Or dietary restrictions might be loving maneuverings to express concern to another person coming from a heart of faith. Sunday school teaching, preaching, anti-abortion sit-ins, Nuclear freeze demonstrations, metro food share involvement, your own job, all may be works of law under a curse or may be the fruit of the Spirit from the heart relying on the Lord 
in faith. The decision of curse or blessing hangs on how you do what you do and who gets the credit. Tuesday afternoon was the Pomerantz interview. You know what the biggest battle for me was in the week preceding my preparation for that interview at the university? My biggest struggle was not to marshal as much of my effort as I could to read as much as possible and second guess as much as possible what kinds of things I might have to answer. That wasn't, that wasn't the battle. You know what the battle was? To believe God. Could I believe the promise that good night, the curse is off and he's for me? Could I believe Romans 8, 28, that at 3.15 Tuesday afternoon, everything would work together for John Piper's good? Could I believe the counsel of the living Christ? Don't be anxious about what you should say ahead of time. It will be given you what to speak in that hour, for it is not you, but the Holy Spirit who speaks. That was the battle. The battle to believe the promise of God. And that's the battle that everybody in this room faces every day of your life. And it's the most important work you have to do from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night. The battle of faith. To keep all the good things that you do from becoming works of law. Upon which there is a divine curse because of how much they dishonor God by failing to rely on his grace. And instead, doing what Galatians 2.20, the verse which will probably be the hallmark of the whole series. Living by faith in the son of God who loved you and gave himself for you to redeem you from the curse of legalism.